Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. songs I sang when, you know, I was a kid, right? You know, you remember if you went to Burger King and got their version of the Happy Meal at Christmas time, it gave you a tape, right? This is how old we were. And it had all the, you know, two different carols on each side. Like, that was Christmas carols to me. And there wasn't any kind of meaning or thought behind those songs. They were just songs we sang at Christmas that talked about Jesus being born in a manger, and yet there is so much more behind each one of the Christmas songs and carols that we sing. There's life behind them. There's theology in them. There's worship in the midst of those songs. And so what we want to do over the next couple of weeks is just take a few of those songs that we love and we sing and look at the story behind them. Talk about what's going on. Why were they written? What was the thought? What's the meaning behind these? And so this week, as you've already seen, it's a little town of Bethlehem. And this song was written way back uh, in the late 1800s by a guy named Phillips Brooks, who was a minister in a Presbyterian church. He worked uh, with children in that church. And it was inspired when he had went uh, to the Holy Land and visited the Holy Land. And he was there over Christmas. And on Christmas Eve, he took a horseback journey on the back of a horse through uh, the Holy Land to this town called Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. And at this time, Bethlehem is not what it is today. If you've been to Israel, it is not a little town anymore. It is a massive, sprawling development now. Uh, if you go to the place in which uh, Jesus is supposedly uh, supposed to have been born, this cave, there's a massive complex and church built on top of it. There's nothing simple about it. But in that time, this was a simple, small town, much like it was in the time Jesus was there. And by nightfall, he finds himself in the middle of this field that uh, is where they believe the angels appeared in Luke chapter 2 to the shepherds and announced the birth of Jesus. And he traveled from this, this place where this majestic proclamation was made and he moves then to the church of the nativity which is there at the, uh, the cave where they believe Jesus was born in the manger there. And they built this church there and he attends a worship service there and it was so moving for him. The simplicity and the beauty of Bethlehem. This beautiful yet simplistic place and yet the hope of the greatest news ever, is birthed out of there. And that stuck with him. And a few years later, his church asked him, hey, would you write a song for our Christmas program for the kids? And that is when he wrote the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It was a a beautiful reminder for him of how often God chooses to use the ordinary and seemingly insignificant to do incredible things for his kingdom. Right? Imagine the promised Messiah that has been talked about for years, for thousands of years, that has been hoped in and believed in and prayed for. This promised Messiah is coming out of a boring and so unimportant place as Bethlehem. 
This is not a, metro, a sprawling metropolis. This is not a place of, of influence and power. It's a poor, small, unassuming town. And yet God chooses this to be the place in which his son is brought into the world. It, th- th- this would be some, so, somewhat equivalent, not exactly, but somewhat equivalent to the President of the United States saying, I'm going to go to Tennessee and I'm going to make a visit to Tennessee. And he begins to go through all the places that he should show up and make his, his, his presentation and speech at of all the places he could go. Like, like He would go to, what, Nashville or Memphis or maybe if we were lucky, Knoxville or Chattanooga. No, this would be like him showing up in Greenback, Tennessee, right? <laughs> And saying, here I am, right? And it's like, why in all places would you go to this place? There's nothing that would draw you to come here. And that is what God is doing. Using the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary for his kingdom. Paul reminds us of how God tends to do this in our life in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. You're not wise according to the world, nor are many of you powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. You're not celebrities. You're not powerful. You're not influential people. You're not the wisest people who have walked the earth. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong God has a long history and propensity to using ordinary meager people to do extraordinary things for his kingdom and so maybe this advent season you show up and you're going who who am I that God would use me Let me encourage you. You're exactly who God wants to use. And God has an incredible plan for your life. He's not looking for a celebrity to use for his kingdom. He's looking for normal, everyday people like you and me who would make themselves available to him. Now this carol that we we just talked about, A Little Town of Bethlehem, has a strong connection to Luke's gospel account of uh, the birth of Jesus and the proclamation of his birth from the angels in Luke chapter 2. And more than likely when Brooks was in that field uh, all those years ago on the back of that horse, he probably reflected back to Luke chapter 2 and thought about what he had heard so many times through scripture about the angels announcing this birth to the shepherds. And one of the things that is so striking about Luke's account of the birth of Jesus is this, is that he is simple in how he reports what happens. These events are extraordinary. There's nothing like this has ever happened before in the history of mankind. And yet Luke presents it in a very simple and straightforward manner. He doesn't hype it up. He doesn't try to make it into something that it is not. And in our time, most of us, when we talk about even small events in our lives, we tend to inflate those, right? We tend to exaggerate them. Make it a bigger story than it really is. If you don't believe me, go ask any guy in the room who played sports in high school about playing sports in high school. They'll tell you some tall tales, and I can promise you only about 10% of it's actually true, right? We overinflate those things. 
We exaggerate. Why? Because we want them to feel bigger than they really were. And yet Luke does not do that in this account. He is presenting us with the most amazing and profound event in the history of mankind, and yet he does it in an understandable and unexaggerated way. For Luke, it speaks for itself. I don't need to add details to it. I don't need to exaggerate it. I don't need to make it feel bigger than it is. This is the birth of the promised Messiah. But not only does God use seemingly unimportant places like Bethlehem, he chooses to announce the birth of Jesus to a group of people that no one would have suspected God would have announced the birth of his son to. These were like the most outcasts of society. Look in verse 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and see who God chooses to announce the birth of his son to. Mary has given birth to Jesus. He is in the manger. It is this amazing thing, and now God proclaims this good news to the world, verse 8. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day, uh, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's important to note that the text does not read this. Now, in the region, there were scribes and Pharisees watching over their rituals and watching over the scrolls, right? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say in that region there were powerful kings and princes and, and, and princesses that were, were watching over their kingdoms and their palaces. And that's who God chose to speak to See, most of us, if we were given the chance for who we would announce the birth of Jesus to, it would be done in the most attention-grabbing way, right? Let's get the biggest bang for our buck. Let's get everybody we can to hear about this. Like, if it were up to me, we'd go to New York City and rent out Times Square and get every one of the Jumbotron screens in there and just, like, plaster the angelic, you know, host of armies singing and praising God. Let's just put that on display for everybody to see. And yet God says, no, that's not what we're going to do in this situation. God says, we're going to reveal the birth of the Savior. Not to kings and queens. Not to... Religious leaders who hold power and influence. We're going to reveal the good news for the first time to simple shepherds that nobody cares about. Why shepherds? Shepherds were nobody. Shepherds had this bad reputation in this time. It's not like the, the, back in the Old Testament where shepherds were revered. Now they have become this outcast group in society. And partly it's their fault. They were, tend to engage in practices and activities that were uh, not above rapport. Uh, they often would uh, steal and, uh, and they were often known as thieves. They would steal uh, uh, lambs and sheep that were not theirs and add them to their flock. They were considered unreliable. 
You can't count on them. And, and actually in this time, a shepherd was not even allowed to testify on behalf of someone else because you can't trust them. They lie. They don't tell the truth. And yet this is who God trusts the greatest news ever to for the first time. And I think God is reminding us through this that his good news is good news for all. It's not good news for a specific group of people, but it is good news and it is hope and it is life to everyone, not just a few people. And so as we read through this story here in Luke chapter 2, what we're going to see is we're going to see three different responses to the good news of Jesus. And as I believe, as I read through this, these are three responses that even thousands of years later, you and I ought to have this Christmas season as we think about the good news of Jesus. There are three responses in the story that we ought to have in our lives this Christmas season. And the first response is this, is we ought to praise God. Look at the angel's response to the good news. What was the good news? Look at it, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This word good news is translated as this. The kindness of God demonstrated in the blessing that comes from the Messiah. This is Jesus. That is the good news. That is what the angels are proclaiming. It's the gospel being preached for the very first time. Jesus has come. The Messiah is here. The long-awaited Savior of the world is here in the world today. And suddenly there was with the angel who made this announcement a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. So what we see is as soon as this angel makes a proclamation that the Messiah is here, Jesus has been born, immediately, Scripture says, a host, an army of angels gathers with this angel and they begin to praise God. Now, what I want to challenge you with is that this is no small army. This was all of heaven, all of the angels in heaven sent to worship Jesus. And if you read later on in Revelation as there's an account given of the angels, the, the description that is given there would lead you to believe this is somewhere around a hundred billion angels filling the skies over Bethlehem singing about the birth of Jesus. This is no small event. This is no ordinary event. It is extraordinary. It is supernatural. It is awe-inspiring. And I can't imagine <clears throat> what must have flooded the hearts of the disciples or of, of these shepherds as they experienced this for the first time. This was 100% unadulterated, God-consumed praise. <clears throat> this kind of Pure praise seldom happens here on earth. We're, we're so distracted. We're so consumed by the worries in our life, the stresses that are going on, what's going on with our kids, what's going on in our workplace. Will we have enough money to do this? What are we going to do next week with a situation in my job? And we gather for worship, and it's not pure worship. It's worship that's tainted with worries and stress and fear. 
That's not the kind of worship that's taking place here. It is pure 100% praise of God. These angels are demonstrating on earth the magnitude and the grandeur of this event in heaven. And saying it also should be regarded to this level here on earth. And so my prayer for you and my prayer for me this Christmas season is that we would respond to the good news of Jesus by pouring out our praise on God. Pure, unadulterated praise. That we would allow God to flood our hearts and to flood our minds and we would just overflow out of our spirit worship and adoration and love to him. But there's a second response, and that is to proclaim the good news. The good news of the Messiah's birth came to the most unlikely group. We've already talked about that. They were considered uneducated. They weren't smart. They didn't understand Scripture. They were not the best of character. They were seen as dishonest because they spent seven days a week in a field with unclean sheep tending to them, caring for them, feeding them, taking care of them, they were considered unclean and unfit for anything involving the temple. And so they could not even go into the temple to participate in any kind of religious experience. So they were outcasts of society. And yet, this is who God shows up to and proclaims the gospel to first. He doesn't send it to the religious leaders who should have been ready and waiting on the proclamation that the Messiah has come. That's not who he sends it to. God declares it to the most outcast of the day. And these outcast shepherds show us how we ought to respond to the good news this Christmas season. Look at their response in verse 15 when the angels appear and they deliver the news. When the angels went away from them, into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the, what the shepherds had told them. The shepherds didn't hang around and go, Hey, what do we do with this? We just saw billions of angels singing about the glory of God and how amazing he is and telling us about the Messiah has come. What should we do? There was no question. They immediately left to go find Jesus. There was an urgency behind them. They didn't hesitate. And I wonder if the reason that God chose to show up to these outcast shepherds was because he knew they had nothing to lose. Imagine a religious leader with influence and power in that day being given this news and told to go find the Messiah lying in a, in a manger in this tiny little town of Bethlehem. What are people going to think about me? What are my f- fellow Pharisees going to, are they going to make fun of me? Am I going to lose influence? Am I going to lose power? The shepherds had nothing to lose. And they experienced this supernatural, awe-inspiring worship of God. And then when they see Jesus face to face, this baby lying in a manger. 
they couldn't help but tell everybody else about what they experienced. It'd be like that Alabama fan standing in the Iron Bowl watching them finally be able to pull it out at last minute and beat Auburn, and they won't be able to be quiet about it for the next year, talking about how amazing it was, right? Because it was awesome, right, to them. Yep, there's one out there, right? They can't be quiet about it. It was an amazing experience, and that is what the shepherds are experiencing in this moment. I can't be quiet about it. This was incredible. We saw billions of angels talking about and celebrating the goodness and the glory of God and the providence and the sovereignty of God. And then we saw Jesus face to face. And I can't just help. I can't just be quiet. I got to tell you about it. The shepherds understood that this good news was good news for all. And what is so amazing <clears throat> is that God not only spoke to these outcast shepherds, he also spoke to wise men, right? Revealing that God was not a person who respects people, that he loves the rich and the poor, the outcast and the accepted, those who are far off from God and those who are near to God. He is a lover of all people from all walks of life, that there is no one who is outside the bounds of his love and the hope that Jesus brings. And so the shepherds couldn't help but run tell this good news. And so my prayer for us is that this Christmas we too would be like the shepherds who we can't help but tell of the hope that is found in Jesus. And may we not grow numb, may we not become numb to the reality there's still a world filled with people who are far from Jesus that Jesus loves unconditionally. And may we be faithful to tell them of Jesus and the hope that only he can bring in their life. A third response we see is from Mary herself. Scripture says, pondered it all in her own heart. And I think Mary's response is one that we all often overlook during the Christmas season. It's so chaotic, right? It's so busy. There's so much that is going on. Christmas, I don't care what your family is like, it's chaotic. Amen? Like, you've got crazy family members in town, and then you've got your own family, which all of our families are weird in some way, right? And so Christmas is just chaotic. So was it for Mary. Think about this. She was outcast. She was pregnant with child. There was no room for her to give birth. Imagine, ladies in the room, you are going into labor and you have no place to give birth to this child. Like, imagine the freak-out mode you're in this moment. This is where Mary is, and finally there's a provision, a place to give birth, and then all of a sudden these crazy, wild, outcast, ridiculous shepherds show up, right? You've had your baby, now these, these, these weird shepherds show up, they smell, they stink, and they're over-the-top excited about this. You get these, you know... Very, you know, wise, wise men who show up bearing gifts to you, right? And, and, and I just got to imagine Mary is probably going, I just need some time alone. Like, you people are wearing me out. And listen to what Mary's response was. It wasn't get these people out of here. It wasn't being overwhelmed, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, 
pondering them in her heart. Mary's reaction was different than the shepherds. And what I love about Mary's response is that it was enduring. You don't hear anything else about the shepherds after they show up to Jesus. When the wise men are done, you don't hear anything else about the wise men. You will follow the rest of the New Testament and hear about Mary time and time again. Because this was not a fleeting emotion. This was not an emotional high for Mary. This was not some experience she had and then three days later she was the same. For many of the people who experienced the birth of Jesus and that were there celebrating, this was a temporary emotion. But not for Mary. It's kind of like if you remember back to your days when you went to youth camp, right? And everybody got saved, you know, for the 15th time at youth camp. And everybody had this amazing experience and they couldn't quit talking about it. And I'm never going to sin again. I'm breaking up with my girlfriend. And I'm never going to tell a lie again. And I'm, I'm only going to listen to Christian music from now on. And then they get home from church camp and three days later, what happens? They just go back right, right back to who they were. It was just an emotional experience. They never took time to stop and go, but what does this mean for me? Here's everything that I experienced, and it was good. There was emotion in that, and there was truth in that, but I never stopped to go, hey, what does all this mean? God, what are you teaching me in this moment? What do you have for me in this moment? That's not Mary. Mary calmly took it all in. She meditated on it in her heart. She wanted to understand what is going on. God, what are you doing? She sat and she dwelled on this baby that she was holding in her, her hands, who he was, what God was up to. She wanted to know what God had for her. It's likely in this time she reflected back to her experience in Nazareth and the, the, the shame that was thrown onto her because of this, this pregnancy with a man that she was not married. And imagine the people who mocked her and made fun of her and the ridicule. She would have remembered that. She would have been reminded as she reflected in this time of the sovereignty and the faithfulness of God who removed her from Nazareth through the census. I love this. The census took her out of the place where she was having shame poured onto her and took her to a place called Bethlehem where she could finish out the last days of her pregnancy away from all of that. How faithful God is. How in control God was. How he provided the perfect place for them. She pondered all of this. She thought about all of this. And she treasured it in her heart in church, we have much to learn from Mary. That in life, as we experience life, as we read the truth of God, as we hear the Spirit speak to us, do we stop and do we take time to process that and to think through it, to ponder on it and to go, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? Or do we just move from emotion to emotion without any contemplation? As you experience life, you're going to be met with emotions. 
And my question is, do you stop to think about what it all means and what God is trying to teach you? It's been a kind of a crazy week for me getting back in. We've had a lot of drama happening in some other areas um, of our life. And I was talking with a friend about that who has a total different personality than me. And we were talking about all this going on. And he said, yeah, when I, when I lay in bed at night, I just process like every single conversation I have. And I'm thinking, okay, what did I need to learn from that? What did I need to hear in that? He goes, do you do that? And I'm like, no, I lie in bed and I'm an eight. On the Enneagram, and I think what I'm going to say to everybody who has, you know, that I've been, I'm practicing what I'm going to say and how, I'm going to say this, and they said that, and I'm going to do this. No, I don't ever stop to think and ponder. And what a reminder for us. That's how we grow in the Lord. We let Him bring us to new, possibly even scary, potentially overwhelming experiences much like Mary had. And instead of being overwhelmed and reacting in raw emotion to God, complaining, calling someone and telling them how frustrated we are, we learn to be quiet and to contemplate and to think and to ponder what God is up to and what he is doing. And this is how we begin to grow in the Lord. So this Christmas season, I hope you enjoy all that it has to offer. I hope you enjoy the traditions that your family does. I hope you make the most of all of that. And my prayer for all of us is that we would have these three responses this Christmas season. That we would respond this Christmas with praise to God. That our hearts would know he is worthy of every ounce of worship we have to give him. Would we respond with telling others about the hope and the goodness of Jesus? And would we ponder what God is trying to teach us this season? God, we come to you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the simplicity of the birth of Jesus. We thank you for the reminder that it is... uh, a reminder that you want to use even us. And may we this Christmas respond like the angels, like the shepherds, and like Mary. May we respond to you this Christmas with praise. May we respond to you this Christmas with proclaiming and telling the good news to others that we have found in Jesus. And may we ponder what you are doing May we ask, what is the Lord trying to teach me? What does all this mean? God, what are you up to and what should I learn? That this would not just be a Christmas that goes by where we just give gifts, eat meals, and make memories with people. But it would be a Christmas where we grow closer to you. Where our love and affection is grown deeper towards you. Our heart for the world around us is broadened. And where we are drawn to live more fully on mission for you. May we be the gospel in the places we live, work, and play this Christmas season. For your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. 
We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.